mouth shut, hold your tongue, don't say something will make you regret. Girl, you better keep your door shut, keep your door shut, the devil's out prowling, I bet. Girl, you better keep your mind shut, this book hasn't failed us yet. legs shut right no don't make me get into it welcome to girl explaining the podcast where two girls who are smarter than you offer our expert opinions on a different topic each week i'm elizabeth i'm kylie and you're welcome this week we are covering lady pain or medical gender bias mm-hmm so What Wikipedia has to say on this issue is gender-biased diagnosing is a controversial sociological observation which asserts that medical and psychological diagnosis may be influenced by the gender of the patient. Several studies have found evidence of differential diagnosis for patients with similar ailments but of different sexes. Now, I don't know about you, Elizabeth, But I have personal experience on this topic. So do I. Uh, I think probably many women do, because this should not be a controversial subject of whether or not it exists. I think we can say it definitively does exist. Evidence would seem to suggest so. Yeah, so we both have had pretty traumatic experiences medically, So I guess uh, it would probably be appropriate to give a heads up of a trigger warning for medical trauma. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I don't know uh, if you have experienced recently some very intense medical situation. This could be triggering for you. So you might want to skip to like, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. Yeah, don't, don't, don't make yourself sad. Yeah, yes, I, I wouldn't want that for you. I want you to be happy. My wish for you is to be happy. Same. Um, yes. I could just probably go, I don't know, I feel like yours is more intense. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, oh, we, we both almost died. We so. both almost died, it's true. Um, it's true. My story is that... Uh, I was 20 years old, and I did not have medical insurance at the time. It was before Obamacare. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> thanks, Obama, for not not having Obamacare yet at the time that I was 20, 10 years ago. What were you doing? Um, and I was working a temp job, and I started losing weight rapidly. And I did not know why, and I figured maybe it was because I was drinking diet soda. So I started drinking sugar soda, and it did not help. And I... Um, had a couple other symptoms. I was hungry all the time and uh, peeing all the time and thirsty all the time. And I was like, that's weird. I don't know. And my mom said, oh, maybe you have diabetes. I was like, that's crazy. I don't have diabetes. So I looked up the symptoms and I definitely had diabetes. I had all the symptoms of diabetes. So uh, I got these things from Walgreens called ketone test strips that test a thing in your pee basically to see if you're spilling them, and if you are spilling them in your urine, you either have diabetes or are on hardcore Atkins, and I was eating a gallon of ice cream per week, so I was not on Atkins, and um, I was, so I was like, okay, 
I think this job is going to start giving me health insurance soon, so I'm going to hold tight until then and go to the doctor when it is cheaper because I was 20 and I didn't make good decisions for myself. Well, but also health insurance is yes. important. Yes. And should not be based on people's right. employment. Right. People should be able to go to the doctor when they're sick, period, and not worry about it being cripplingly expensive. Different episode, but very true. <laughs> yeah. Side note, universal health care. Anyway, so I made a doctor's appointment, and I went to the doctor, and I was like, here's, here's the deal. Here's my set of symptoms. I did this test, and it said this. So I'm pretty sure I have diabetes. Hooked me up with treatment for that. And the doctor was like, you don't have diabetes. You're too old to have type 1 diabetes and truly young to have type 2 diabetes. That's ridiculous. And I was like, well, just for funsies, let's take my blood sugar. And he was like, whatever. So they took a vial of blood and I fainted. And they were like, I guess girls are afraid of blood, <laughs> whatever. But actually, it was because my blood sugar was extremely high because I had untreated type 1 diabetes. Not that uncommon in people that are 20 years old to have diabetes type 1, guys. Um, so then they called my house after they got the blood test results and were like, you do have diabetes. Come in and talk to our diabetes educator. So I did so, and she showed me how to use a blood sugar monitor. I left work to go to this appointment to see her, and she showed me how to use this monitor that she gave me. And she said, that's weird. It says 48. That's very low. Um, they had, by the way, diagnosed me with type 2 diabetes because they were very sure that no one other than small children could have type 1 diabetes, which is crazy. And so she said, your blood sugar is 48. So drink a Dr. Pepper, and I did. And then I went back to work, and then I went home and took my blood sugar, and it was over 400. It was like 460. And I looked back at the reading before, and it had been 481, and she had read it wrong as 48 and given me soda. So I went to the ER, and they were like, this is crazy. Your blood sugar is very high. Your A1C is very high. Um, you are very sick. And they admitted me and hooked me up to an IV and gave me insulin and everything was fine. I started seeing a specialist and I got my blood sugar under control pretty quickly. But had I not been able to go to the doctor because I didn't have health insurance or had I listened to the doctor and been like, I guess he's right, I don't have diabetes. I I'm could, just a dumb girl, what I, do I know? I can't have diabetes, that's impossible. Uh, I, I could have died, I would have probably had like organ damage or something, I could have passed out while I was driving. Any number of things could have happened, so I was very lucky that those things didn't happen. Um, and I wish that the doctor would have listened to me uh, and thought that maybe I knew what I was talking about when it came to my body. So, boo. Yes, Wait. <laughs> so you thought the doctor should trust you about your own body? I know. It's ridiculous because I have a uterus. You're a woman. Why? Craziness. I know. I'm so incapable of making my own decisions. I'm 
I'm glad that men are looking out for us. There's legislators to control your body, Missy. Don't you cry, try doing it yourself. That's right. Oh. Alright, guys. Someone okay. with a really big <laughs> penis just drove by. <laughs> Uh, I'll be right back. I'm going to go chase him down. Ooh, yikes. Okay, I'm back. Kylie is a very fast runner and now has a story to share about her experience with bullshit, doctor, bullshit. Yeah, so I, I have a story of my own regarding medical bullshit. Um, so... I'm not sure exactly when this disease started happening in my body because I was dealing with a series of seemingly, to me, unrelated symptoms, um, but I kept bringing them up because I know that di medical diagnosis is about eliminating things or saying, hey, if you have all of these things, then all of those checkboxes line up best with this disease, etc. Because you watched House. Because I've watched House. Um, so... <laughs> And it's never lupus. Never, ever. Guys, this is not a story about me having lupus. Because it's never lupus. Because it's never lupus. Um, so I had a series of different symptoms, um, including night fevers, night sweats, lower back pain, shortness of breath, but not too bad. Um, that's all I can think of right now. We'll see what comes up as I tell the story. Um, so I... When I was getting these night fevers, I would wake, I would get a, have a really high fever um, in the middle of the night, and uh, it would break. I would get drenched with sweat, and then by the time it was morning, which is the time when you go to the doctor, the fever would be gone. So I would go into my doctor's appointment or urgent care or whatever it was and say, hey, I've been having fevers every night this week. I know I don't have one now, but I have been having fevers every night this week. That's pretty much all that's going on, so I just need something because fevers aren't normal. And so then someone would take my temperature and they'd go, well, you don't have a fever now. And I would say, yeah, that's what I just told you. Um, however, I will have one again tonight. I know because this is like the fifth night that I've had a fever. And they're like, well, you know, just because you had one last night, maybe whatever you had is gone now and you're not going to have a fever again. Uh, but just in case, uh, let's figure this out. So then um, they would listen to my lungs and say, well, you know, some of the symptoms you have are related to pneumonia, um, but I don't hear pneumonia, so let's just do a chest x-ray. And then they would do a chest x-ray and say, yeah, you have pneumonia, so here's some medicine, um, treat your pneumonia, and come back um, for a follow-up chest x-ray once that is cleared. And then the next month, I would continue to have the night fevers, and so I'd come back, and then I'd do another chest x-ray, you have pneumonia, and then I'd leave, come back, uh, do another chest x-ray, you have pneumonia, and then I'd leave. Um, so this happened a few times, obviously. Um, oh, a couple of years before that, um, I had gone into the doctor with severe um, pain in my pelvic region, and um, the doctor was like, well, it's probably an ovarian cyst the first. Yeah, who cares? So there's not really anything we can do about that, but you might have polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, and then another doctor was like, polycystic ovary syndrome doesn't exist. That's not real. Cool. Um, but yeah, so a couple of times I thought I had an ovarian cyst that burst and that, that was just a thing that happens and there's nothing you can do about it. So then I came in for the back pain 
and uh, they tested a couple of different things. They were like, well, it's neither of the things that I thought it could be, so here's the number of a chiropractor. Um, and then they put little electrodes on my back and electrocuted my back, but not in a painful way, just in a fuzzy, good-feeling way. And then it made the pain go away, but um, guess what, guys? Chiropractors can't cure cancer, which is what I had. So um, I came back in for my pneumonia again, um, and they said, we can't hear the pneumonia in your lungs again, but we see it on the chest x-ray again. Um, and so I got, I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, they're like, we're going to do a shot of antibiotic in your butt this time instead of giving you pills. Uh, come back on Monday if you're still having fevers, and we'll give you another shot in your butt. So I came back the following Monday, and they, I was like, hey, I'm here to get a shot in my butt. And the doctor who was there that day was like, hey, you know that giant golf ball-sized lymph node in your neck? And I was like, yeah. He's like, uh, let me press on that for a second. Does that hurt? I said, no. Press on a little harder. He's like, that doesn't hurt. I was like, no. And he said, um, that's supposed to hurt. And I'm going to send you to get a CAT scan. And, uh... So that day, I got a call from the doctor's office, you need to come back immediately, and they were like, you either have cancer or something that is just as bad or worse than cancer. Uh, so I drove home to tell my parents, and then the next day I went into the hospital, and I got a biopsy, and I got diagnosed with stage 4 Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a blood cancer related to your lymph nodes. Um, stage 4 is the last stage of cancer that exists, because... Uh, that's the last one before you die. So that was a bummer. And maybe if, oh, I forgot the part. I forgot the part in the story where um, I, anytime I drink alcohol, it would hurt. And so then they're like, don't drink alcohol. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So then I didn't. Apparently that's a classic Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, symptom. So is night sweats, another classic Hodgkin's lymphoma symptom. Oh, and one of the times that I went in for the pneumonia, I was like, hey, I know this sounds crazy, and I shouldn't have been on WebMD, but I think I might have lymphoma. And they were like, no, your blood is normal. You can't have lymphoma. Um, but I did, and maybe if someone had listened to me or put all the things together or realized, hey, people don't get pneumonia for four months in a row, uh, then it wouldn't have been stage four. Maybe it would have been, right. like, stage one or two. Right. Like... Maybe if anyone at any point would have listened to you saying that you had symptoms and being like, you're not lying about <laughs> night sweats. It, it, the weird thing was it wasn't even that, like, they thought I was lying. It was just that they were like, well, you don't have that now, so I'm not worried about it anymore. Oh, it's so <laughs> upsetting. I just hate this story so much. It yeah. makes me feel insane. And so when I was talking to my doctor, um, now my Hodgkin's lymphoma oncologist, Dr. Donald Dahl, who is a very good doctor, and I like him very much, he was like, yeah, that's uh, alcohol, pain with alcohol and night sweats um, is lymphoma. That's You should have been referred oh my God. for lymphoma specifically. And I just, yeah, I was like, what does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah, because that's the thing that I was like, hey, I know I don't have lymphoma, but I think I might have lymphoma, and I did. Right. Yeah, so that's the thing about Googling your symptoms, because, like, don't do it because the internet will say you have cancer, but sometimes it's it's right, and you do have cancer. Sometimes. Um, not usually. You, listener, you do not have cancer. Probably. Unless you do, and if you do... 
I hope that you have a speedy recovery. And uh, email us at girlsplainingwithnovowels at gmail.com. And we can be a little two-person support group. Yeah, we would love to hear from our listeners. I'm a wealth of useful tips that uh, people don't usually think to give other people. Oh, that's nice. A lot of them relate to constipation. Guys, cancer has a lot to more to do with constipation than you might realize. Yeah. And um, it's not pleasant. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Cool. Well, I am super happy that you're here and that you continue to advocate for yourself and go to the fucking doctor even though you didn't listen to you. And that eventually someone noticed that you had cancer. Yeah, I'm glad too. Because otherwise I would have died. Yep. Um, yeah, stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma has a 60% survival rate, about. So. Yeah. Oh you know goodness. what has a higher survival rate? Stage one Hodgkin's yeah. lymphoma and stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma. I bet even stage three has a higher survival rate than stage four. Slightly. See? Yep. Well, you are here, and we are speaking to each other and to our listeners. And I hope that they will learn very many things about Lady Pain on today's podcast. I think an interesting thing about both of our stories is that we had a couple of different things that were related specifically to Lady Pain Mm -hmm. that got us dismissed. Mm -hmm. Yours was that you fainted. Yes. Which, like, it was because you... Have diabetes and it was a symptom of yeah. diabetes, and they were like, "Oh, ladies, they be fainting." I know that's the only time I've ever actually like fainted, like fell on the ground, fainted, yeah. blacked out, and it was in a doctor's office, and yeah, it did not garner me any sympathy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and mine was related to um, they were like, "Oh, you're having pain in your pelvic region." It's probably your reproductive organs. In which, in, which is also, like, the fact that it's, like, in which case, who cares? Yeah. Is real fucked up. Right. Yeah. Like, you just got a case of ye old wandering uterus. Oh, ye old wandering uterus. Listeners, if you think we're joking about wandering uteruses, oh, but you're in for a treat. Because... Do we have a segue for you? In the olden days... Uh, in ancient Greece, they thought the uteruses were a creature that lived inside a woman's body and wandered about in there, putting pressure on her what's-its. And you're like, ancient Greeks? What silly things you thought? Except that, uh, have you ever heard of hysteria? Because that's what it was, and it still is a thing. Less so than, you know, like... 30 years ago, but even yeah. just 30 years ago is still a very prominent thing. Yeah, so, she's hysterical. Yeah. Calm down, miss. Yeah. Calm down, miss. You're yeah. hysterical. So that, that was referring to her uterus acting a fool. The word hysteria comes from the Greek hystera, which means uterus. As in hysterectomy. A word you may be familiar with. Maybe. Um, and hysteria encompassed a number of symptoms that ladies might experience, including anxiety, shortness of breath, fainting, insomnia, irritability, nervousness, sexual frigidity, or sexually forward behavior. 
Yes. So, yeah. sexual frigidity or sexually forward behavior, basically any amount of sexual desire that does not exactly match, match up her, her to the male sex partner that she should be having. It almost seems like any time a husband felt like his wife was acting up, he could just be like, doctor, she's hysterical. Bitches be crazy. That's right. They always be shopping. <laughs> That's my understanding of the thing. So yeah, so uh, this concept of hysteria has changed over time. It went from being considered an actual physical malady, like in the medieval and industrial eras, and um, to more of a psychi- psychiatric diagnosis. Yeah. Um, but so in medieval times, um, the best prescription for hysteria was marriage and regular sex. Yeah, and then um, there it was... the was... best long-term treatment option. Yeah. Well, you know, because uh, that'll keep keep you in, in control. Keeps your uterus from wandering all around your body. It gets bored. It needs to be weighed down with babies, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, then a very smart gentleman decided that the cause of hysteria wasn't as much the wandering uterus as... Retention of sexual fluid. Oh yeah. So then the the so fast forward a lot from medieval times to okay. So fast, fast forward. Yeah, fast forward from the medieval period um, to the industrial period in the U.S. Uh, our industrial revolution era and changing gender roles with women going to work. What? Egads. No. And by women, I mean like. White women, because women of color. Lots of women had been working for a while, but now the white women were doing it. Oh, no. What will we do? Uh, So the loss, yeah, the loss of femininity led to a melancholy and lethargy that needed to be cured. I think they were just tired from working in, like, mills. Like, very dangerous mills that could, like, kill you? Yeah. Shirtwaist factories. Where Where you catch on fire? I don't know. It's probably just retention of sexual fluid, though, that's making them act crazy. Yeah, so I better go to my doctor to get the massage cure for hysteria. That's when they invented vibrators. Medical vibrators to help ladies in rubbing one out for them, which wasn't considered sexual because it wasn't penetrative. It was just medical. Just a massage treatment. Masturbation is a sin, but going to your doctor and having the massage cure was a medical treatment and therefore not sinful. I also love the misunderstanding of female anatomy to the point that men are like, well, when I have sex, I express sexual fluid, and that makes me feel better. So... When I don't express sexual fluid, I feel frustrated. So when women don't express sexual fluid the way I do, it's probably a problem for them. We've been assuming that women's bodies work the same as men's bodies because men's bodies are the default human body for the like a while. One. Yeah. It's default. Yeah. Default human is yeah. straight, cis, white man. Obviously. That's what a human looks like. Straight, cis, able-bodied, white man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 
it's real weird. The whole thing is real weird. I know there's like a Maggie Gyllenhaal movie about this, and I did mm-hmm. not see it, but we'll look that one right on it. One funny um, little tidbit, not funny, but funny, um, was from the London Times in 1908, just as like a very, very clear picture of how this was just a thing that men invented to control women. One does not need to be against women's suffrage to see that some of the more violent partisans of that cause are suffering from hysteria. Mm-hmm. Why else would ladies be wanting rights? Yeah, psh, they were just melancholy about not voting. Melancholy and lethargic about being less feminine. Nothing a massage care can't fix. I also have the same note, so I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> Shout out to the writer to the New York Times who thought that suffragettes needed to masturbate more. London Times. I'm sorry, the London Times. And the next section I have is medical studies. Do you want to yeah, go over I have more that history? Too. Okay. No, I'm good. We're good on history. We can continue. Okay, so evidence-based medicine is important. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Great. Okay, so now that we both agree that evidence-based medicine is important, uh, we can talk about how the evidence that we have is largely based on single-sex samples. Mm-hmm. Single-sex samples, fun to say, not fun in practice. Because what that means is that all participants in most research, in most medical research over time, have been men. And, um, okay, actually, I'm going to take a minute to correct my terminology. Most participants have been male. So as we're talking about this right now, so we're talking about a gender bias in medicine, um, but we're going to switch as we talk about medical studies to talking about sex rather Mm -hmm. than gender. So we're talking male and female um, bodies. So most participants were male in all studies just because uh, that's what they decided. Default human. Default human. And I actually read that part of it was because they were like, well, we can't risk young yeah. women of childbearing age. Yeah. Oh, no. Women are too delicate of We got to make sure their, their baby-making parts keep making babies. So I'm sure that uh, those attitudes were relegated to the 1950s and certainly... In our modern era, uh, women and men have equal rights, uh, right? Incorrect, Elizabeth. What? Uh, but this is something that's still affecting us. So even if there, even though a lot of studies have moved to including more than one sex in the participants, we are still using medical information from when samples were single-sex samples. So I'm going to use the example of heart attacks. Mm-hmm. So I read an article on CNN called For Decades Women Had Heart Attacks in Silence. And basically this is addresses, I think a lot of people have heard about this, but um, women have different symptoms of heart attacks than men do. And since all of the studies used men, we knew all of the sim- used males, sorry, Since all the studies used males, we knew how heart attacks, we knew the symptomology of heart attacks in a male body. Chest pain, left arm hurting were the main things to look out for. So that's what we told people. If you have chest pain and your left arm starts hurting, go to the doctor because you're having a heart attack. Turns out 
females do not have those symptoms. Females are more likely to experience nausea and vomiting, trouble breathing, and jaw and back pain. Women, as a gender, are also taught to ignore any symptoms that we're having. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've experienced this. Yes. I know I certainly have. It's yeah. kept me from going to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Until I'd had a fever for five nights on several occasions. I'm like, oh, I'm probably just it's overreacting. Probably, yeah, I, don't I know my back pain is waking me up in the middle of the night crying and I can't sleep, but... I wouldn't I'm, want somebody to notice I'm taking up space. I probably just have a low... Pain tolerance, because I'm a lady. Yeah. Um, so a lot of women ignored their own pain, um, and because they're like, I'm not having anything serious. It's I'll just drive myself to the doctor, and it'll be fine. And then it turns out they had a heart attack that they didn't know about. That's called uh, Yentl syndrome. Hmm. The fact that uh, women experience different heart attack symptoms named for the film Yantle starring Barbara Streisand where she dressed as an Anne. Very nice. So in this CNN article, um, we hear from cardiologist Dr. Niesa Goldberg, or Nisa Goldberg, I'm not sure how that's pronounced. Uh, Dr. Goldberg had been taught that heart attacks were a man's problem. Uh, in 1990, when she got her first job as a cardiologist, she suspected that a female patient had had a heart, heart attack. The other doctors told the woman that she was probably, quote, stressed out and needed a vacation. So Goldberg was like, nah, I'm going to test her for heart disease. She had a 99% blockage in one of the heart's most important arteries. And a blockage um, that is commonly referred to as the widow maker. Ah. Which, by the way, is a gendered term referring to men having heart attacks. The widow maker, because your husband dies and now you're a widow. My goodness. And she said, even the terminology describing the lesion is so gendered. It is. So she and many other kick-ass female physicians have worked to increase gender parity in medical studies so that we understand the differences in symptomology. Because males and females have different biology. Our bodies are different. We have different reproductive organs, and we have different hormones, and that affects the symptomology of similar diseases. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, a few more notes I have on women and cardio cardiological problems. Um, since 1984, more women than men have, have died from cardiological issues. And a study showed that in 2005, so 20 years into that being true, less than one, fewer, sorry, than one in five doctors surveyed knew that. Mm -hmm. um, even the vast majority of doctors still believe, even though for 25 years it hasn't been the case, that more men die from heart attacks and heart failure than women. And because of that bias and misinformation, um, approximately 15,000 women under 55 in the United States die every year from a heart attack. Yep. So that is awful. Yeah. Gender bias in medicine is literally killing us. Yeah. So we were talking about clinical trials and including fem female subjects in clinical trials. Uh, the National Institute of Health guidelines were updated to suggest that women participate in the year of our Lord 1994. Oh, see, I have um, that just last year, in fact, that was for animal studies. Is it? Okay. 
I so believe that, that that is for animal studies. Yeah. So in so 1984, is, they were like, you should use women if the drug is going to be used by women. Yeah. So this one's more specific than that. I do believe it's referring to humans. Oh, okay. But what it is is that um, the NIH instituted a policy last year requiring that researchers specifically justify okay. any research on only one sex. Oh, see, this is it's probably related. It, there is probably yeah. a set because I read one. This is a more tailored yeah. and more specific, like strict. Like, you have to tell us specifically why you're only studying one sex. Are you studying testicular cancer? Right. Fine. Yeah. And that coupled with the fact that in the same year they passed uh, one that you had to in animal trials use female yes. animals says to me that in 1984 when they passed new guidelines saying, hey, you use females in clinical trials, it didn't work very well. No. And they were not getting a lot of adherence that they passed these new rules. Uh, just last year to uh, try to further the cause here of um, getting clinical trials. Like, it's yes. crazy to me that just last year, the first study was actually published that showed a, a positive link between hormonal birth control and depression. Mm-hmm. Because that's something, I mean, birth control has been legal in this country since the 60s, and pretty much the whole time women have reported some women, like certainly not all women, mm-hmm. and not with all pills, but like women sometimes experience depression as a side effect, but there had not been a clinical link until last year. And right. it just blows my mind. And like, I also have written down um, PCOS, which mm-hmm. we were told by a doctor did not exist. We know that it does exist. We know that women suffer from it. But it's just not, like, super important to the medical community to figure out what it is or why it happens or what the treatment should be. And it's upsetting. On that note, endometriosis is a thing that is debilitating in women that a lot of people don't, in the medical community, don't seem to care too much about. Um, There were several articles I found of women expressing that they had been suffering for sometimes years. Um, One was a really good New York Times article where a woman was talking about how she was repeatedly told that it was just period pain. And, you know, just take some ibuprofen and sit on your couch and you'll be fine. Um, No. No. Mm -mm. No. Yeah. I've had friends that have suffered with what turned out to be endometriosis for years before getting a diagnosis. Like, I have Mm -hmm. a couple of different friends who... Just were told, oh, sorry, you just have painful periods. No, sorry, you just don't like sex, whatever, we don't care. Yeah, same. What's really incredible to me about that specifically is that the people who are pushing, like, you go to a gynecologist to right. discuss this, and even the gynecologist is like, it's period pain, like, you'll be fine, until yeah. you just find the right gynecologist to take you seriously. Yeah. I was recently, like, I had a a very heavy period, like, a frighteningly heavy period, and I was worried to call the doctor. I was like, uh, I know sometimes periods are heavy. They're not going to take me serious. Like, I was worried to call the gynecologist's office, but I did because I was like, this is terrifying. Um, And they were like, I described what was happening, and they were like, it at the time, it was kind of tapering off, so they were like, well, if it comes back, like, go to the ER. That sounds 
pretty bad. So <laughs> I was glad it made me feel so validated that they did take me seriously. And I was yeah. super appreciative of that. But I feel like just how we are conditioned as people who have periods and just like periods are weird. We don't know. It's probably fine. Even if it feels like you're going to die, just roll with it. Periods are gross. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Figure it out. Yeah. So. Or, oh, you're a woman who's experiencing pain? It's your period. Oh, you're not on your period right now? Still you're your ovulating. It's still related to your periods. Ovulation cramps. I don't know. Figure it out. Yeah. What's, I just remembered a really funny piece from uh, Jen Kirkman's special, Just Keep Living, mm-hmm. um, where she's actually talking about how... She's worried that she ruined things for women everywhere because she experienced, like, really intense bleeding during a period and was insistent to her doctor that it was internal bleeding. And her doctor's like, it's not internal bleeding. It's your period. Yeah. And then it was. You know what? And she was like, how do you know it's not internal bleeding? And her doctor was like, because you are seeing the blood externally. (laughs) It was really good. I feel like I just... I mean, watch Jen Kirkman, Just Keep Living. She's very funny. Um... Nice. I just ruined her bit, so I feel kind of bad, but... No, you didn't ruin anything. You didn't ruin anything. Ladies, you can say things out of your mouths, and you're not ruining anything. Thank you. You're welcome. So, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about whether gender bias is as bad with female doctors. In my experience, female doctors take me seriously, but... I tend to assert myself in a way that I know not everyone does. And I have, like, my, I have seen my mom struggle with female doctors just as much as male doctors. So I know that it can definitely still be a problem. I failed to find evidence-based information on this topic. Um, I will say that I have a friend who is finishing up medical school, and she said that there was a paper that suggested that women who see um, general practitioners that are, not even just women, so people who see female general practitioners are more likely to be, I'm just going to read it. Okay. I can't remember what I'm talking about. (laughs) I was texting her today, and I was like, hey, anything to add? Nice. And some Doctor friend? So yeah, so Dr. Friend said, um, Dr. Friend said, there was recently an article published about how patients of female internal medicine docs have better outcomes than male docs. So that's all patients, not just female patients. Yeah. um, Have better outcomes in general than male doctors. But I don't know what article she was talking about, so I can't give it to you. That's okay. Um, I have a couple, I have a couple of like statistical things that are related to this. Like, uh, there's a national pain report study that showed 90% of women with chronic pain feel that the healthcare system discriminates against women. 90% and 65% of those respondents feel the doctors of either gender take they're painless seriously because they're women. So we see that the majority of chronic pain patients feel that women doctors are also complicit in the systemic bias. So then it sounds like 25% don't feel that they're... 35% of the respondents that said they were... 25 because 90 minus 65 is 25, right? Yeah, I... 
I'm unclear if those that 65% is of the 90% or of the 100%. It doesn't matter. It's fine. A sizable chunk of people. Women feel that can women, do math. <laughs> well, we were both we're both right or we're wrong or somebody's. It's fine. You know, something's happening. My point is, a sizable chunk of respondents in the study think that women doctors are better about that specific issue. Oh, can I bring up something that Dr. Friend mentioned that I also thought was good? Absolutely. Um, Re-female participants in research? Absolutely. She pointed out that even in the past when we have researched women, um, used female research subjects, we haven't always been great to them. Of course. Especially when they were one of color, re-Henrietta Lacks. Oh, so topical so. due to the wonderful work of Oprah Winfrey and the adaptation of the Henrietta Lacks book into a doctor, or not documentary, biopic. Yeah. Available on HBO. There's a little white savior complexy, but... Oprah? No, that... that <laughs> yeah, movie. I gotcha. Anyway, but... Okay. So yeah, I just wanted to bring that up also. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, well, yeah, we could definitely get into it on the history of medical studies mm. being terrible. Um, but we won't... I also wanted to say that I found a really interesting piece about women residents in medical school being discriminated against as mm-hmm. far as evaluations. Mm-hmm. This specific study showed, this was on um, just looking at the evaluations of emergency medical specialist residents. Mm-hmm. And they had a three-year residency in their first year. Women scored higher on evaluations in 15 of 23 areas than men, mm-hmm. um, notably higher in accountability, multitasking, and diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And third-year residents, the same students received, the same exact students, uh, male, male students received higher scores in every single category, and I get a 13% higher rate of achievement. The same people. So it's yeah. unlikely that the students intelligence level and ability to do medicine change that radically. No, probably not. Probably not. So that is troubling. And I think that I could see a situation, I will posit that perhaps um, some female doctors tend to overcompensate for the discrimination that they face in their own field and maybe are discriminate like have an implicit bias towards female patients because they have been taken less seriously as females. Yeah, I don't even know if it's necessarily related to how they have been treated as doctors, but more just like we have all internalized sexism. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I you know, I know that I certainly have not gone to the doctor in the past because I was like, oh, I'm just making this up in my head, my silly little head. Um, Yeah, there certainly is definitely uh, sexism in the medical professional community. I want to say there's a couple of great articles we will put on the Works Cited page uh, from Vice and uh, broadly on Vice and the Atlantic about women's pain. Did you read the one on the Atlantic? I did not. Oh, my goodness. Everyone should read this. Uh, It's called How Doctors Take... Women's pain less seriously, and it's actually this firsthand account. It's a male writer, and his wife had excruciating pain 
and they waited just hours and hours and hours to get her treatment in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. She, like, when they called the ambulance and the EMTs arrived, they asked her to read her payment scale of 1 to 10. She said 11. Like, it was an emergency. She felt like she was dying. Mm -hmm. Her ovary had, I did not write down what it was called that she had, but basically her ovary had twisted her fallopian tube. (gasps) Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. But they didn't, they were like, oh, it's just kidney stones, whatever. And, like, she didn't end up even getting, like, evaluated properly by a doctor, even though they were giving her painkillers for, like, 12 hours or something outrageous. So, anyway, it's a great story. It's a great account of, of, and this was a privileged, I believe, white woman that was, so it's not, I mean, it's, like, somebody who you would think in society, if any woman was going to be taken seriously, like, and no, no, they're like, whatever, kidney stones, women are such complainers, God. But no, she was having uh, something that could have been potentially fatal, so. I will say, fringe benefit of cancer, when you show up to the ER bald and with a fever, you get the Cadillac treatment. Boy, I tell ya. <laughs> so if you need to go to the ER, shave that head first. Pro tip from Kylie. No? Do not do that. <laughs> um, but I will say, they got me, but they were like, we don't have a room available, but we're going to make a room and stick you back there because you cannot be out here with all of these germs. Yeah, that's good. I mean, because you'll die. Good that they take somebody seriously. Um, <laughs> this should have probably gone under the, the, the studies part, but I just came across this note here. Uh, five times as many studies have been done on erectile dysfunction as PMS, even though 20% of men in their lifetimes report experiencing erectile dysfunction and 90% of women report experiencing PMS symptoms. Cool. Cool. I won't do it again. Um, (laughs) that's really upsetting. My penis isn't working. <laughs> it's an emergency. Oh, <laughs> that's what I have for physiological diagnosis. You have any more? Nope. Nope. Okay. Uh, well, just that. I mean, time and time again, throughout several articles, we find that women are more likely to be told that their symptoms are psychosomatic. Yes. So as a bridge yes. between physiological and psychiatric diagnoses, yeah. um, if especially if you have historically been diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, women are more likely to be told that their pain is just a manifestation of that depression. Yeah, I came across et cetera. again and again in these articles, doctors saying that um, sometimes women's pain is considered emotional, which I like... Don't even know what that means, frankly. Like, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) if you're doubled over in pain, Mm -hmm. it's not an emotional state. I definitely, um, personally know women who have been hesitant to mark off any psychiatric diagnoses on, um, medical history, medical history, Mm -hmm. because they know that it's going to make them, the doctor take their other symptoms less seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they're physical symptoms. I I 100% identify with that. I feel like the stigma of 
psychological illness is so broad sweeping. Like, I just do not. I'm like, I don't need to tell you my history of depression. Like, you don't need to know about it, doctor. It's fine. I'm fine. I'll let you know if I need you. <laughs> Which is, yeah, we yeah. should be able it's, to feel free to be honest. It's shitty that women feel like they have to withhold medical information from their medical practitioners in order to get proper medical treatment. Yeah. That's yes. a bummer. I was reading about sort of a controversial discussion in, like, the psychiatric community about the DSM and whether the personality disorders in it have inherent bias in diagnosis because the diagnostic criteria assume female characteristics are pathological. Yep. And studies really disagree on this because it's, like, very difficult to study this because it's just sort of subjective to some extent of, like, what you mean when you say pathological or what you mean when you say female characteristics. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I feel like I wasn't able to hammer down really hard into, like, whether I agree with this, but I do think it's, like, good that it's being discussed. Yes. Yeah. I thought a really good example of this was BPD or borderline personality disorder. Yeah, that was one of the major ones that got brought up. Like, I saw an article that was, like, batterer or borderline, and, like, that the same symptoms were being diagnosed differently in yeah, men yeah. and women. Yeah, like, PTSD uh, and BPD often present very similarly, but are often diagnosed very much along gender lines. Mm-hmm. So, and we definitely... Like, if you say to me borderline personality disorder, and if you say to me PTSD, I feel like I conjure a different image in my head of what that is. Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I also, when someone says borderline personality disorder, I think of a woman. Mm -hmm. Historically, when someone has said PTSD, I have thought of a man because, like, until way too recently, I thought that PTSD was only a thing that happened to people who, with military service. Oh, yeah. Because that's so... That connection mm -hmm. was that's definitely formed how... so strongly, and then I was like, "Oh, post-traumatic stress disorder from trauma that can yeah. include any type of trauma, which yes. of course includes many aspects of military service, but oh, also there are other types of trauma." So now, when I think of PTSD, I also think of women because I work with victims of trauma who yeah. are primarily women. I think but... of Josh Lyman from The West Wing because of the that's fair wonderful episode in which he is diagnosed with PTSD. And Yo-Yo Ma plays the cello. It's very good. I forgot what that episode is called. Sorry. I think it's in season two. Uh, Early season two because he... Is it called Noel? Yes, I okay. think it is. All right. We're going to go with that. that. Cool. Anyway, those are serious things. <laughs> PTSD is very serious and not just something that happens on the West Wing. Um, but yeah, I think that it is true that that's typically when people picture... Those things, they're picturing it along gender lines, yeah. I think. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people mm -hmm. that are diagnosing those things. Probably. So, yeah. And I just wish that things like borderline personality disorder were less stigmatized. And that when we think of someone with borderline personality disorder, we think of a hysterical woman. Like, not really, but I do feel like it's... Oh, yeah, It I is, do. like, a similar 
thing and that's super sexist and I I really want us I think that that we need to work harder to increase visibility for women with mental illnesses next on my list I have women with disabilities yep which is a double whammy of discrimination yeah and I couldn't find any specific articles relating to um medical gender bias yeah in terms of women with disabilities. But we do just know that that's an intersection of multiple oppressions. I have um, just personal experience. Again, with my, my mom has fibromyalgia. And I know other women with fibromyalgia. And it can be extremely debilitating. Mm-hmm. And some doctors still don't believe in it. It's uh, a disease that can cause you to not be able to get out of bed. And be in extreme pain all over your body. And some doctors still do not believe in it. Most do now, but, like, 15 years ago when my mom started experiencing symptoms, most doctors did not believe it was real. Yeah, fibromyalgia was another one that I read um, is more prevalent in women. Yes. But despite that, more men get treatment for it. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. What? Yeah. Because women are crazy and they can't possibly be experiencing things. Yeah, and I think I think it's true for a lot of different um, chronic pain. Yeah, disorders. yeah. Yeah, I also read that men with chronic chronic pain are more likely to be prescribed opioids. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I'm not saying that's good, but right. they are being taken more seriously. <laughs> but also, like, yes, definitely, overprescription of opioids is a problem. We know that. But also, like, sometimes people have pain, and we should give them medication for that pain. Yes. And if we're not able to prescribe opioids for whatever reason, then, like, let's do some alternative things. Yeah. Hashtag legalize. Yeah. But. (laughs) Yes. Women with disabilities worldwide are twice as likely to be victims of domestic violence. Yeah. That's a lot of the articles that I was reading were sort of bringing that up. Uh, like those things that like violence is because they they are not given a voice in society and mm-hmm. I think that women with disabilities are like kind of desexualized by society and not advocated mm-hmm. for as women and then are fall prey to people who will take advantage of them not being advocated for um yeah a little off topic but that did come up in my research I read a New York Times article entitled a fix for gender bias in healthcare. Okay. And uh, it was about a John Hopkins study that ended up creating a computerized checklist for blood clot patients because even though women patients were more likely to have blood clots, they're also more likely to die from blood clots when the study mm-hmm. was going on because they weren't getting proper treatment. So if they created a computerized checklist to make sure that all blood clot clot patients were getting proper treatment Mm -hmm. it hopefully removed the gender bias so that is one possible solution yeah the only the problem that comes up with that is again the fact that symptoms can present differently in people with different biologies yeah yeah I think this was after diagnosis okay it was like Okay. Once you are a blood clot patient, are we giving you correct treatment? Gotcha. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That does not help with diagnosis. And also, it does not stop doctors from being like, check, 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 I am busy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the human That's error is always possible. But I think 
going forward, coming up with ways, like being aware of the gender bias, Mm -hmm. the medical community being aware of it, um, female healthcare professionals being supported and empowered, and just generally in the healthcare community, confronting gender bias and discrimination, I think is the best solution, but patients don't have a lot of control over that. Yeah, so that's another thing that I asked Dr. Friend for some um, opinions on what patients can do. Because obviously, as a patient, I don't have control over whether my doctor is recognizing gender bias or not. Um, One thing I do have control over is believing and trusting myself about my own body. Yes. And not taking no for an answer. Yes. And um, if you're not getting the medical treatment or if you're not getting... If you're not getting treated in a way that you feel is fair, you it is definitely within your right to ask for a second opinion. If Absolutely. you feel that your internal medicine general practitioner is not, if you feel like there's something going on that you need to see a specialist for, you always have the right to ask to see a specialist. Mm-hmm. You have rights as a patient, and it is unfortunately sometimes going to fall on you to advocate for yourself. Yes, that's extremely important. I'd also say do research, uh, but use reliable sources. Naturalnews.com is not a reliable news source. I'm sorry to break it to people who enjoy that. So when you're doing medical research online, be aware of your source. And also when you bring your issues to your doctor, do be respectful and let them know that you understand that they are a professional, but they also need to respect you. And just because they went to medical school doesn't mean that they can treat you badly. Write questions down ahead of time. Write down your symptoms and write down any questions you have. If your doctor is coming to a conclusion that you think may be the incorrect conclusion, ask them why they have come to that conclusion. Ask ask them to walk you through it. Yeah. You know, it's not disrespectful to say like, hey, I know that diagnostic can, what's the right word for that? I know that diagnosing a disorder is a process of elimination. So can you tell me, like, what we have eliminated and why? Yeah. Great. And what we need to do going forward. Yeah. And another good tip for those situations is when you're making an appointment, you can ask for the full appointment time to make sure that you get a block of 40 minutes instead of 15 blocked out for you. Um, yeah, that was a tip that I saw on a blog from the medical perspective on how a patient can advocate for themselves. Um, don't try to fit this in. If you are like, I'm pretty sure I have something going on, don't try to fit it into your checkup. Make a separate appointment because doctors have a very full schedule and sometimes they're rushing around and you just want to make sure that you have the amount of time that you deserve. And if you can... Bring somebody that can advocate with you, like a parent or a partner or even your friend, but that can make it easier for some people. Especially because if you're experiencing something weird medically, you're going to be nervous. Yeah. And so it's good to have your backup there. Um, I always had my parents and or partner go with me to appointments, so then when my doctor is like, anything else? And I'm like, no. They're like, you are forgetting this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah. yes, I am forgetting that. Yeah. What about that? And then my doctor can address those issues. Yeah. Or I would sometimes not be forgetting them and just being like, I guess it's fine. So it's good to have somebody to hold you to sticking your guns. 
singing to your guns, whatever that is. Shall we sort? We shall sort. Sorting hat. We're gonna be sorting medical specialties. And I hope we don't need to issue this disclaimer, but we don't believe that all practitioners of these medical specialties belong in these fictional Hogwarts houses necessarily. <laughs> this is just for funsies. Yeah. Uh, cardiology. I really had Slytherin. I understand that choice. I sorted it into Gryffindor for the sillier reason of it has to do with your heart. I know. I felt like it should be Gryffindor, but I'm just like, my gut is telling me that this is Slytherin. I felt that way about a lot of things. OBGYN. I have obstetrics as Hufflepuff and gynecology as Gryffindor. Okay. Sure. Uh, I couldn't make up my mind, but those sound right to me. But obviously a lot of people practice both, but I mean, you know... I don't know. Let's get this really obvious one out of the way right now. Surgeons Slytherin. I didn't put surgeons because, like, I didn't have that down. But, yeah, that's fine. Slytherin is fine. Like, if if you're a surgeon. They might be Gryffindors. God complex. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Well, Gryffindors can have a God complex. I know, but I don't know. I feel like it's a power move. Yeah. It's one of those two. (laughs) Also, how many surgeons have you met? Because two. Yeah. No, yes. (laughs) Uh, we love you, surgeons. Mm-hmm. Thank you for operating on it. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, pain management doctors. Hufflepuff. I agree. Yeah. So gastroenterology is a Hufflepuff. Like, thank you for that. Yeah. I'm grateful. Psychiatry. Slytherin. Slytherin, I agree. Psychology. Ravenclaw is what Yes, I, that um, makes sense to me. Uh, radiology, Ravenclaw. Yeah. I believe. I have oncology as Ravenclaw. Yeah, there's just so much to it. And also, my oncologist is such a Ravenclaw, so I think that's really factoring into my opinion. It's same-sies for me, but with endocrinology. Mm. I'm like, oh, Ravenclaw. Dr. Neela, shout out to you. Yeah, Dr. Dahl is a huge nerd. Yeah. And he's great. Uh, your allergy, Gryffindor, you gotta be brave to deal with guys who don't want to get, uh, vasectomies. <laughs> sure. Pediatricians. Oh, I didn't put pediatricians down. I love them all. They are the best people, Gryffindor. I think Gryffindor, yeah. yeah. I just think it's, yeah, I think Gryffindor is a good Gryffindor. place to put the pediatricians. Oh my gosh, and it's so hard. Like, ugh, imagine having to provide care for a very sick child in their family. Yeah, that's kind of why I was thinking Gryffindor too, because I was like, I couldn't do it. I There's something that has to be in you that is not in me in yeah. order to be able to do that. 100%. Sports medicine, Gryffindor, because oh, jocks. I would think Slytherin. That just seems, that's fine. Gryffindor, yeah. that's. I, I guess I also am just like... <laughs> My bias against the jocks. I'm like, blah, <laughs> I always have thought, um, and this is probably just because of listening to The Nerdist with host Chris Hardwick, mm-hmm. but he says that he's always thought of Gryffindor as the jocks and Ravenclaw as the nerds and, like, mm-hmm. the comedy writers and that kind of thing. Sure. Which makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, there's definitely jocks. Dermatology. Where did I... It's Slytherin. 
I think Slytherin too, because snakes shed their skin. Holy shit. <laughs> Love it. Yes. That's so wonderful. Uh, also, really like all doctors, Slytherin, because the little symbol for doctors is the <gasps> two snakes, guys. The two snakes <gasps> twisted together. Whoa. Yeah. Mind blown. Yeah. Uh, so the profession of being a doctor is Slytherin, Slytherin because it's very associated with snakes. I have hematology, Ravenclaw, because I feel like you have to be such a nerd to be yeah. like, I want to know a lot about blood. <laughs> and from what I've heard about the hematology folks is that uh, they're not people people. <laughs> they like Aww. to stay in their lab and look at their slides. Slides of blood. I'm uh, very grateful to you, hematologists. I would not be alive today or it not for you. Yeah, I don't like having blood drawn, so good job. This is not a type of doctor, but um, it is related. Pharmacist. Oh, Hufflepuff. Uh, yep. Okay. We're any reason? I mean, just because it's like your pharmacist is like that's that's a relationship that I feel like is so should be ideally like very dependable and like trustworthy and loyal. Like I have. I've, I've had it go both ways. Yeah. I had a pharmacist who actually paid for my yes. medicine out of her own purse. Which is When my amazing. insurance company would not pay up or shut up. Yeah. Um, mostly just pay up. But then I also had a pharmacist who was, like, the douchiest in the world oh. who was, like, my chemo pharmacist and mm-hmm. was just, like, explaining. I'm like, stop using a briefs when you explain my chemo to me. You weirdo. So. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, like, I know they spend a lot of time on the phone with insurance companies advocating for patients. I mean, that's true. There are bad ones, but, like, as a general thing, I want want that to be a Hufflepuff. (laughs) Uh, We hope. We hope that our pharmacists are Hufflepuffs. I have pulmonology as a Gryffindor. I don't really have a reason. Just feels, feels. I put pulmonology as a Gryffindor at first because I was dumb and was thinking pulmonology was heart-related, even though I know Uh, cardiology is heart-related. It's close. Bye. They're definitely interacting Mm -hmm. systems. Yeah. I put pulmonology as Slytherin because I hate my pulmonologist. Oh, well, that's fair. I do feel like both some Gryffindors and lungs are full of hot air. Uh that's funny thank you (laughs) yeah no my pulmonologist um I went into an appointment that was like my first follow-up pulmonology appointment after I'd finished chemo and they were like so what round are you on after making me wait for like an hour after my appointment time and I was like oh I hoped in that hour since my appointment time you had glanced at my file clearly you have not because I have not been in chemo for three months but Mm. thanks yeah respect people's time doctors just, like, also look at my, like, what are we doing here if you haven't even really? looked at any of my information? Yeah. Ugh. That's Diff- all. Different soapbox. That's all I've got. That's yeah. All. Same. All okay. Thanks for reading, Hat. Thank you for being here. Podiatrist. Hufflepuff. Okay, now nice. I'm really done. Nice. Nice. Cool. Woman of the week. Woman of the week. I will go first, because mine is going to be the less popular of the two Uh Uh-oh. My women of the week are 
all of the women of Fox News who spoke out against sexual harassment in their workplace. Yes. I do not like everything that the women of Fox News do and say. Mm -mm. I am not supportive of a lot of the things that they do and say, but it is really, really, really difficult to speak out against sexual harassment at work, and I commend them for doing so. It's on my brain because this week I watched an interview with Allison Camarota, I think is how her name is pronounced. Um, she did an interview with CNN about Roger Ailes sexually harassing her when she was just starting out in her career at Fox News. And it's a really, really great interview. I really highly recommend it. Um, it's A-L-I-S-Y-N, last name Camarota, C-A-M-E-R-O-T-A. You can find it at CNN.com. Um, she just spoke really beautifully about what it feels like when you're being harassed by a powerful man in your workplace and how difficult that is. And I think it's such an important thing to talk about. Yeah. And I really commend her for speaking on behalf of women everywhere who have experienced similar things. Yeah. So my women of the week are the women at Fox News who spoke out against the harassment they were experiencing by gross old men. Absolutely. Yeah, that's super important and extremely brave. And I absolutely agree that they deserve to be recognized. So thank you, women of Fox News who spoke out and continue to do so. Um, my woman of the week, I'm I'm really excited about. It's like my main, um, like lady role model currently, <laughs> Elaine Welteroth, who is the editor of Teen Vogue. Um, Teen Vogue, the most feminist publication available today. I mean, truly, what an amazing woman. Uh, she became editor of Teen Vogue in May of 2016 at the age of 29. She was the oh youngest. God editor of a publication in Condé Nast history. Condé Nast is the publisher of Vogue and Teen Vogue and many other publications. Uh, they've been in business for over 100 years, and she's the youngest. And she's also only the second African-American to be editor of a magazine at Condé Nast. So she's the best. <laughs> she's the best. Also, she uh, has taken it in an amazing direction of social justice uh, in the Trump era, I worry a lot about the kids today, and I worry that they're going to become callous. Teens, just subscribe to Teen Vogue. I, I subscribe to Teen Vogue. I need to. You should. I have it right here as Bella Hadid on the cover. I'm not 100% sure who that is. Um, <laughs> 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 um, no. But I got, I got an email from Teen Vogue the other day as a subscriber, and it was like, the subject line was like, hey, Andrew Jackson was actually a genocidal racist. And I was like, I love you, Teen Vogue. Thank you for putting that subject line in my email today. I really appreciate this. Like, like fucking get it, Teen mm -hmm. Vogue. Yeah, I, I want everyone to read Teen Vogue. It's like the most vital publication in America. And I am so excited. Um... Elaine Weltroth is also, it should surprise no one, beautiful and chic as the editor of a fashion magazine. 
Um, and she began her career as an unpaid intern at Ebony Magazine in 2007, right after graduating college, and just continued to fucking tear it up, and is now one of the most important people in publishing. Yeah, so, so Woman of the Week, what a great one. Yeah, women in media, women in media, just like us. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's been... Girl explaining. Uh, thank you for joining us. This was a really important one for us. I'm really glad we got to talk about it today, and I hope that you've enjoyed it. Me too. Mm, you're welcome. You're welcome. Bye. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Girl Explaining with no vowels. G R L S P L N N G. You can also reach us by email at Girl Explaining with no vowels at gmail.com. Vowels are letters that are A-E-I-O-N-U, so don't use those, but use all of the other letters. And if you want to find us on the World Wide Web, our website is girlsplainingshow.com with all the appropriate vowels. And our music is Girl by the Leonas. Thank you to the Leonas. You can find their website at leonasmusic.com. And Girl is from their album Forbidden Fruit. That has all of the vowels, too. Do you like doctors? Sometimes. Oh, I like when I get shots. You do like when you get shots? I will never cry. You never cry? Mm-mm. Do you think doctors are nice to you? Mm-mm. So what do they say when you tell them what's wrong? We will take care of you. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite doctor? Mm-hmm. The boy one. Yeah. <laughs>